everyone, and welcome to the 14th episode of our second season. I'm Dana. And I'm Jim. Today we're in the East Village in Mayanoki chatting with our good friend TJ Provenzano. But first, beer. TJ, what beer are we having on the show today? Uh, today we have Kings County Brewery Collective, or KCBC. Uh, this is their Strap Hanger Rice Lager. Uh, nice. So this is a pretty small collective uh, that's in Bushwick, actually right down the road from uh, my apartment. Uh, it's pretty new. It's basically a collection of brewers that come in and do really small batch kind of one-off um, brews. And it's the kind of thing where they release a um, kind of a newsletter as to what they have for that week. So you get to kind of jump on some specials. And this particular one worked so well with sushi, which is what we're doing here. Mm-hmm. So uh, we jumped on it and grabbed it. You can see the packaging is awesome. Yeah. yeah. Uh, this is really cool. They actually uh, have some of the brewers kind of hiding in this uh, photo here. Oh, cool. Um, for you, those of you at home, it is a kind of cartoony uh, picture of uh, some aliens and uh, <laughs> other crazy characters on a subway, a New York City subway. Uh, that's why they call it the strap hanger. Um, nice. So packaging is beautiful. It's a great size. It's a great beer, and obviously the the rice lager aspect is what kind of drew me. Yeah. Cool. We um, also have a special guest with us. Nice uh, person introduced. If you introduce uh, uh, our the man one, here, the only yes, Chef Jeffrey Miller. Whoop whoop. I'm I'm upset that I wasn't listed as a good friend in the introduction. <laughs> <laughs> By the end and of the conversation. Met. <laughs> I guess we'll get there. By the end of the conversation. Exactly. We'll get there. We're building the friendship right now. Why don't we crack this open? We'll pour it out. Uh, so Bushwick, back in the day, to my knowledge, uh, was full of German immigrants. Uh, was a huge... Wow. Uh, beer culture. Uh, and that's why the, the gentleman from KCBC kind of planted their brewery in that warehouse was a 5,000 square feet um, and obviously the Germans back in the day were brewing their own you know, Pilsners yeah. um, in Bushwick so it's pretty cool that we get to sit here not too far from there in the East Village of New York and learn about what you guys are building here uh, and we just found out that you guys were mentioned in the New York the New Yorker? New Yorker, yeah Congrats. Thank Why don't you, you tell us about Thank that you. a little bit? Well, yeah, that's really fun. Uh, New York did a great uh, kind of review. Cheers. 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 Guys. Cheers. Yeah, New York did a great review on us. Um, they had some really nice things to say, uh, specifically about about Chef Jeff and how innovative and uh, how things are going in the, in the food side of things. Uh, it was a total surprise. Obviously, we weren't expecting uh, them to come review us. And anytime that something like that happens, it's a big uh, you know win. Your, Do you know ahead of time that they're coming, or nope, they just show no up? No idea. Yeah. Wow. We um, we had no idea, um, and we you know we only have eight seats here, super right. small, so we get to know our guests pretty well. Yeah. And uh, we it was actually it worked out really well. Jeff actually um, did something pretty special that that seating that was totally by accident. Do you remember, Jeff? Well, I I I add I add the. the a dish. Mm-hmm. I do remember. I broke down a fish. I think they like that. Yeah. Uh, it was an Arctic char, which is this beautiful species. And uh, Jeff ran down to the basement, p- brought up a, a whole Arctic char. Oh, wow. And literally filleted it from whole fish to sushi right in front of the guests, which is not something that normally happens. It happened to happen, you know, right when the, the New Yorker uh, food critic was sitting right here. So that worked out pretty well. That's really yeah. cool. How it's long good. does it take you to do that, like start to finish? Uh, running to the basement takes longer than. <laughs> <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah, he's he's a Jedi master when it comes to breaking down fish. I mean, we'll, 
being it. I just feel like I can do it better just by watching him all this all this time. Yeah. So it's pretty fun. So to watch. how did you guys meet one another? How did we meet, Jeff? Well, we well, met. I think, I think we first met at the at the pop up. I, right. I did I did a month long pop up before this this space existed. My Nokia was a pop up, and I did the last pop up, uh, which was in 2016 uh, in August in the Lower East Side. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we first met. You came in as I a, came as, as a guest. Yeah, yeah, totally. That's yeah, that's exactly right. And then when we decided to open here at Marinoki, and um, we actually had a, another chef who who was with us at the time, um, and Jeff filled my sister Jamie, who you both know, mm-hmm. got married, and we had to take a week off. So we brought in some guests to you know I, I filled in with uh, one of my employees from Rooftop Reds, and um, we asked Jeff. And a buddy of his to come and be our chef for a week, um, nice. so we could take the week off. And I don't think he ever left. You were not living in New York at the time. Where were you living? I was, um, I was in Dallas or Houston. I don't know. I moved around. <laughs> I moved around in Texas okay. a lot, and it's it's hard to remember where I was. <laughs> is that where you grew up, Texas? No, I grew up in Northern California. Grass Valley is my hometown. Okay. Whoop, whoop. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, all right. <laughs> You'd be surprised because we do get guests from Grass Valley, and every time that Jeff mentions that name, they get so excited. It would be like if somebody we've, from Croton came. Yeah. We've had one guest from Grass Valley. Is that right? I feel we like get, we, we get, get guests who know Grass Valley. Right. Know. Yeah, okay. What, what, yeah, what are you doing out here? Totally. This is a tiny town. It was, it was gold country. It was a hot place to live in the mid 1800s. Okay. If you were into gold mining. <laughs> now it's now it's a lot of retirees and families and um, artistic-minded folks. Okay. How old were you and decided you wanted to be a chef? Were you like food Man, was your there, passion? There wasn't there wasn't really ever a decision to become a chef. It was. I I got a job when I was in college at the University of Florida mm-hmm. uh, at a sushi restaurant, okay. and I wanted to learn sushi and. Um, I, I didn't expect it to become my career, but gradually, as I was, <clears throat> as I was working at this restaurant called Dragonfly, it became uh, far more important to me than what I was studying, which was journalism. Wow. Okay. I thought I was going to be in sports journalism. Yeah. I spent I spent a handful of years in in newspapers before I went back to school. Uh, but but yeah, then I got caught up in sushi. It's kind of an addictive thing, man. Wow. I, part of it is that I love the food so much, but also making it and the progression of. Uh, being able to see yourself progress yeah. and get better that it's a it's a, a level of satisfaction that I didn't have anywhere else it's like an art form to me right like it's Absolutely. it's beautiful yeah I, I, I guess a lot of people call it an art and I I, I appreciate that it, it feels like work to me <laughs> I, mean, I, I, I do love it yeah I guess so you were in Florida and How'd you get from Florida to wherever you were in Texas? I um, I was waiting. I was I was waiting for my my chef at the restaurant in Florida to finish showering. I was, I was at his apartment. His name is Ray. Go on. <laughs> we're listening. And then I've never heard of him. he came out of the kimono. <laughs> I was waiting for him to finish showering um, before we were going out. We were, he lived, we both lived downtown. I was just at his apartment, and as I was waiting for him, he had this book in his bookcase, um, and I'd seen it a couple times before, but I'd never had time to flip through it. It's the Uchi Cookbook, 
it's the restaurant where I ended up working in Texas. But I was flipping through this book, thinking like, damn, why don't, why don't we do that? Yes. Yeah. Because uh, it was just, uh, it was so interesting to me. I'm not going to say it's better than what we were doing at this restaurant. It's just very different. The restaurant mm-hmm. where I worked in, in Gainesville is great. Very well suited for a college town. Lots mm-hmm. of cream cheese and fried this and that. <laughs> and it, was, it was a great place to start. But as I'm flipping through the Uchi cookbook, I was just blown away with what they were doing. So that night, uh, I emailed the company and oh, wow. started the interview process. It took a long time to get out there. Uh, ended up spending five years with the company. Wow. Yeah. Okay. That's crazy. That That's made quite an impression. I've never looked at a book before and like, I need to co- contact this person right now. That's crazy. Well, I was also, I was also at, a point, yeah. I was at a point in my life and in my career where um, I had just graduated from the university and I didn't want to... A lot of people in Gainesville and I'm sure in college towns all over the country get very comfortable. Yeah. Because they're, they're all just such cozy yeah. havens. And I didn't want to, I didn't want to end up a townie. I didn't, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, I, I, have, I have, I've had so many friends and still have friends who are like, I've got like, like six credits left. I'm going to finish next semester. Oh, geez. And that's just their like perpetual state of existence. Right. I, I didn't want to end up in Gainesville. I would still be there right now, probably. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, so I was, at, I was at that, I was at that point in, gotcha. my, in my life. So I was very, I was very open to something new and exciting. That's really cool. So were you there when Joe, Kim, Noah, and David Lee were there? Or was this, yeah, the, hence the Noah Knicks jersey that you're wearing right now? <laughs> I, I, wasn't there, I wasn't there when David Lee was there. Okay. I was, I was there. He was more of an Aaron Hernandez fan at that time. <laughs> oh, Jesus. <laughs> I mean, I, I absolutely, everybody was an Aaron Hernandez <laughs> Everybody was an Aaron Hernandez fan until he killed someone. <laughs> it's a valid statement. True. It's true. Right yeah. true statement. Can't argue with that. Oh, my God. <laughs> Um, I, Tebow so, years though he was there. Tebow. Oh, okay. Yep. All right. Cool. Yeah. Then a lot of national championships, just breaking them in. Correct. <laughs> Correct. So let's discuss how you two guys know one another. How old were yeah. you when you first met? Jim and I. Yeah. Oh man, you moved to Croton from Austin. I did when I was in kindergarten. 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 And Muller came when? I think that year as well, or maybe the year after. Who was your kindergarten teacher? Miss Windrum. Uh, Mrs. Windrum, yeah. I was Miss Kelly, but we knew each other then. We knew each <laughs> Are other you guys the same class? Or? Yeah, yeah. Okay. same year. Same age. Yeah. Yeah. And I would like to point out that at one point, as I mentioned earlier, I was taller than Jimmy. Yeah, for um, eighth, maybe seventh, eighth grade? Like, he was the forward, I grade. was the center. Oh my God, here we go. <laughs> I, I was distributing from the paint. Yeah. And nice. How tall are you now? Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm pushing six feet. Yeah. Five eleven. Five eleven. I'm six foot nine. So that's how we stand right now. Um, I want to get into sustainable sushi because that's yeah. what you guys are doing here. I have that's no true. fucking clue what that means. So cool. if you guys can kind of delve into that and educate our listeners yeah. and us at the same time, I'd appreciate it. It's, it's a lot of to. it's a lot of knots and don'ts. Like, so okay. yeah, it's it's uh, sustainable sushi has a lot to do with what we don't serve. Okay. Uh, we we won't put we won't put any we won't serve any fish that is um, that is overfished no no overfished species if it's wild caught nothing that's caught in um, in a way that's destructive to the environment nothing that's caught in, in a way that catches other species indiscriminately uh, and then if it's a farm fish nothing that's farmed 
uh, in a way that pollutes the surrounding waters. Yes. And that's a lot of that cover. That's a lot of fish that yeah. I just described. Um, but at the same time, there's so much. There's so much fish that is caught sustainably and farmed sustainably. Um, so that's that's probably the simplest way to describe it. Okay. Essentially, yeah, it's sushi with an environmental mission. So okay. if you think about kind of the farm to table movement mm-hmm. and how um, you know consumers are really concentrating on asking purveyors to provide them with local products. Everybody wants their vegetables grown locally, and we want our meat sourced locally and humanely. But that hasn't really translated to the sushi world just yet. Um, you know, it's kind of this cultural difference where the rarer the fish, the better. So uh, the example that we um, like to start with usually is bluefin tuna, which is a large predatory species, top of the food chain, apex predator, middle of the ocean, deep sea fish that is um, an endangered species. It's literally is going it extinct because of our consumption of it. And rather than kind of us changing our ways and adapting to that and being like, okay, well, let's lay off the bluefin. Um, we attack it more and just raise the price. So that's why when you go to yeah. Omakaze and you're, you're eating sushi, you're paying top dollar for these fish because there just aren't enough of them anymore. Um, so what we have tried to do and what we are doing is we're thinking about it from a different angle. It's how do we continue to eat sushi for the next 30 years? We don't want to wipe any species off the planet just because we like to eat sushi. Yeah. So why we serve why we will serve a tuna species from time to time it will never be a bluefin it will always be albacore which is a much more um, you know f- rapid reproducing fish that is just smaller and more sustainable but for the most part we don't serve things like tuna farmed salmon that kind of thing we concentrate on species that are a little lower on the food chain yeah like Jeff said catch method is super important so nothing that's caught with like giant nets right. um, and then carbon footprint I think is the last part of it we might be one of two sushi restaurants on the planet that doesn't bring in anything from Japan um, we are we again focus on local so even like our wasabi that mm-hmm. we get which is real wasabi by the way which mm-hmm. is super rare in this game but our real wasabi comes from Oregon our rice oh. comes from California um, even the soy sauce that Jeff uses is from Kentucky aged in bourbon barrels Ooh. so it's kind of like this new American sushi yeah. concept where we're taking traditional Japanese techniques and and ideas from you know that beautiful culture and, and really from the origin of sushi mm-hmm. but just adapting it and using local ingredients mm-hmm. rather than flying ingredients from all over the world and um, you know just focusing on species that are not harmful to the environment uh, there's a great organization called the Monterey Bay uh, Seafood Watch, and they actually release a rating system on everything that we eat from the ocean. Wow. So um, if you guys at home or if you guys are ever curious about what you're buying yeah. and where it kind of ranks in the sustainability side of things, you can check. They have an app for your phone. You can just check it, and they, they green list, red list, or yellow list everything. What's the name of it again? It's called the uh, Monterey Bay Seafood Watch. The Monterey Bay Aquarium is behind it wonderful organization they've come in they've rented out our restaurant to have dinner with us Um, and we are huge supporters of theirs they're supporters of us but if you're just curious about this tilapia that I'm eating, where where it's from, I look it up don't. on this app. You'll be able to see. <laughs> it's it's interesting to see, you know, and um, you know we're obviously trying to kind of disrupt the industry in that yeah. way and kind of show people that there's another way to do it. But it really starts with consumers and getting people excited about these kind of underappreciated or underutilized species. You know, Jeff 
serves things as sushi that I don't think anybody ever has before. There's nights, I mean, even last night, there's, and there's surprises for me every night, you know. But things like bluefish is a big one for us. That's a local fish that people are always like, ah, throw it back, or, you know, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just mm-hmm. not a fish that people think of as being this premier, yeah. beautiful species. We love it as sushi. Super mild when it's raw. It's got that beautiful kind of oily texture to it. Um, it's a wonderful sushi fish, but it's just been thrown back and overlooked for so long. Mm-hmm. Where people are like, cook the hell out of it, smoke it, grill it, yeah. char it. No, just cut it. Mm-hmm. That's that's kind of the way that we've, uh, you know, have been going about this. And it, it's been a discovery. You know, Jeff is playing with things that people aren't serving as sushi. So, you know, he really gets to be a pioneer in that way. So do you guys educate your customers when they're sitting here? Do you tell them about sustainability and fish and things like that? Not, not in a shove it down their throat right. kind of way. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a captive but, audience. It's eight people and you. Yeah, yeah it's it, it, it's night night by night, night by night, seating by seating. It it varies. I I I'm more interested in sushi than I am sustainability. Um, I, it just it's never made sense to me to serve unsustainable species yeah but people know people know when they're coming in here that they're coming to a sustainable sushi restaurant you can't really escape that it's all over our website yeah when you're making a reservation uh and then on top of that you're you're coming in here and you're having uh, a menu of species that you're not going to have in a sushi restaurant uh but people do ask a lot of questions which is when i when i will explain what's going on yeah but i um yeah, I, like I said, I don't want to shove it down their throats, and it's it's not. Um, we're not on a mission from God. We're just <laughs> yeah. we're just trying to make sushi the right way. Now, do sure. you venture out to other sushi spots oh, yeah. throughout New York City I, just I, to kind absolutely. of do your homework and see exactly what they're serving? Absolutely. Okay. Um, I've spent so much money on. Is that a tax write off, DJ? Right? I think oh. so. It's food research. <laughs> it is. Yeah, you can write that. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, this is New York is. There's no other no other city in this country uh, with a sushi scene like New York, uh, not even close. Um, so yeah, I've I've benefited from eating sushi at some really amazing restaurants. Sushi Noda is one that comes to mind. Um, it's the the best sushi I've had in this country, uh, and I and I think being able to do that in the city has has helped me raise my standard as well. Have you been overseas to try? Yeah, I've been to Japan once. I spent nine days in Tokyo okay. as a tourist. Um, just hemorrhaging money. Heard <laughs> <laughs> it's rather expensive over there. Yeah. Well, it, it, it can be, especially the way that, that my friends and I went about it, which was just getting the best reservations that we could and you know, spending like $215, $300 a meal over a period of more than a week. Yeah, and that was, that was eye-opening. Mm-hmm. Um, and and if you go to sushi restaurants there, of course they're using Japanese fish and um, seasonal local ingredients. And and really, I think it's a more. I I would like what we're doing here to be a more authentic representation of this at least the spirit of traditional sushi, and that you're, they're they're working with what's abundant around them. Um, I'm, I'm, we're not trying to recreate the Japanese experience, but I think we're 
thinking about what we're doing a little bit more. Yeah. And you, the guests can really get out of it what they want. So, yeah. You know, if you come in and you're super curious about each species that you've never heard of, I mean, we'll, we'll bring our American seafood out and you can just look at pictures of it. We'll talk about fish, all that. But it's mm-hmm. also, and I think it's important to note that you know, we're in the dinner business. Right. You know, our most important mission is to make sure that you enjoy your night out and that you sit down and have a lovely meal. And the sustainability part is really just gravy. It's really just, okay, these guys are thinking about that. Then now maybe you think about yeah. it when you leave. Um, so our most important job is to deliver on that promise. And if it's not delicious, nobody's going to care. So we right. can talk <laughs> about sustainability all day and about how you know we're trying to save the world and be environmentalists and everything. But if the food it doesn't taste good, then yeah. none of this matters. We wouldn't be sitting here right Correct. now. So our main goal is to make sure that your dinner and your experience and your wine pairing and you know from start to finish is exemplary. And then, you know, the fact that we're trying to, you know, think about it in terms of, um, you know, our ecological impact is just extra. Yeah, I, I, I do think that the food, the food that we serve here has to be at least as good, if not better, than, than a, a standard sushi restaurant. Because a lot of people come in viewing... Um, viewing the sustainability side of it as a handicap. Oh, wow. And then they come in and see me and view that as a handicap. Look at this white dude. <laughs> <laughs> I, the, the number of times, the number of times that people have told me at the end of a meal, like, I was a little skeptical, <laughs> not going to lie. <laughs> and it had nothing to do with the gator's cap and yeah. the gator's cap. Uh, I jersey, mean. But, uh, <laughs> so, yeah, we've got to, yeah, we've got to over-deliver. Yeah, totally. So, for people that don't know, there's two seatings here. That's right. What time are the seatings per night? So, we do, we're doing seatings five nights a week at mm-hmm. the moment. So, uh, we're doing Wednesday through Sunday. The first seating is 6.30 p.m. and the second seating is 9. Uh, there are eight seats in the restaurant, so reservations are required. Uh, they can be made right from our website at any time. Uh, any amount of people can join us from one person to eight people. It's a great spot to do seatings of... <laughs> private seatings and we do that often birthday parties anything just because if you get seven friends you can have an entire new york city restaurant all to yourself <laughs> yeah which is pretty rare yeah but you guys do see that it's 200 something square feet in here so um, <laughs> but you can also come by yourself i mean we get solo diners we're you know we're the kind of place that embraces that if, mm-hmm. if you want to come and just you know learn a little bit and, and enjoy a good meal you come by yourself you know so um definitely not a super stuffy environment yeah. it's nice and casual i mean it's elevated you know we take a lot of pride in what we do and everything is hyper curated from the wine list the sake program and mm-hmm. obviously jeff's food um so you won't be disappointed if you come by yourself or with a group we're, we're closed on mondays and tuesdays that's true and i have a feeling we've talked about this before tj the next six weeks might might be Sundays might be a little weird. Game of Thrones is coming back. Oh my god! <laughs> I was like, what's going on? Game here? of Thrones. <laughs> well, and yes, we have to talk about restaurant week or something. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I was like, what's going on? <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 I think, sincerely think it's going to affect our. Sunday Jeff thinks we're going to be slower on Sunday. I think that we can convince eight people in the city of two million to come out for sushi on Game of Thrones. Sure, but I, yeah. think, I think there's overlap in people who are interested in sustainable sushi and people who are interested in Game of Thrones. Definitely. Game of Thrones fan, is that what we're getting to? We're gonna do a Venn diagram right now. I'm I'm not. My my girlfriend loves Game of Thrones. 
and she will definitely be watching it. I will watch it because she's watching it, but right. I'm not. I don't even know what I don't remember what happened last season. I don't <laughs> I'm super into it. I don't. Personally. I know that like there's a lot that's about to culminate, and it's gonna be it's gonna be a big epic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but I don't know. I don't remember what's happening. Yeah. <laughs> um, a lot of incest. Yeah. A lot of murder. I've never yeah. seen it. Oh, good. fucking dragons! <laughs> yeah, dragons, incest, and murder. So, what does your girlfriend do? Is she in the restaurant world? Yeah, she, she's she's uh she's she's done. A lot in, in restaurants. Okay. Right now, she's a server at Avant Garden right around the corner. Okay. Uh, it's a vegan restaurant. She's not a vegan, but she does appreciate a good vegetable. And it's a good restaurant. Nice. Jeff lives around the corner as well. That's amazing. Yeah. That can you, you can never be late. You have no excuse. <laughs> I, I, I woke up, I woke up I, I woke up <laughs> And who do your new guests expect to see in the front of the house when they show up here at Mayanoki? Oh, without a doubt, Brianna. Brianna is the front of the house at Marinoki. Who is? Um, she is a young lady who I've been married to for a few years. It's in my life. <laughs> uh, no, Brianna, yeah, Brianna runs the show, front of the house, every night. Um, and I think there would be a riot if they showed up and there was somebody else here. I used to do it uh, for the first six months or so when we first opened. Um, it got just to be too much with everything else that uh, I'm involved with. But now Brianna is, is the face of the front of the house. And, she does an amazing I mean, job. I was disappointed she wasn't here when I got here. Yeah, so. <laughs> me, too. me too, but we need her for service tonight. It's more important. Yes, for sure. Um, something we asked all of our guests Chef Jeff, what was your first beer? Do you remember? Yeah, it was, uh, it was awful. That's I, usually I'm the case. In, <laughs> I, like, objectively awful. It wasn't awful because it was my first beer. I lived in Australia for a while. Wow. And there's a, there's a really, really cheap brand. Um, Called cold okay. beer. <laughs> called cold beer. My first beer was a <laughs> fucking Simpsons episode. My first beer was a cold beer. <laughs> Fifteen in Australia. Um, yeah, and it was it was warm as well. It was, just like, it was a warm cold. Warm. It was a warm cold beer. It was, yeah, I remember it. I remember it. What did it taste vividly. like? Like a Coors? Would I don't I don't know what to. Like, take all of your least favorite qualities of a cheap beer <laughs> and warm it up. And, it. and, and yeah, it was... Was I, it like I, your dad's beer? Where'd you get it from? No, no, this was in... A, this was... I, I wasn't... I was living with... Uh, I was an exchange student there in Australia. Okay. Uh, I was at, I was at uh, our friend Chris Lucas's house. This has to be the best response to this question <laughs> in two seasons of our podcast. This is so good. <laughs> Yeah, I was I was at I was at this guy Chris, Chris Lucas' house, and um, I was really excited and like excited and nervous. I was at, it was basically like my first Australian high school party. Yeah, yeah. and um, I was like, you know what? I'm finally doing it. I'm in Australia. I'm gonna drink beer. This is, <laughs> this is garbage. <laughs> this is this is what the hype is, huh? This Why is were they warm? Did nobody know they're supposed to be cold? I don't. No, no, no I don't. I don't remember. That's the ultimate mind fuck. Like, I'm gonna have a warm beer cold that's beer. called cold beer. <laughs> um, but but I, I think <clears throat> off topic. But the, uh, I think the name cold beer is such a great representation of part of Australian culture, which is just the most direct. Simple. <laughs> yeah. They so a, a few years back, the prime minister dedicated uh, a day to the to the. Remembrance and, and appreciation of everything that happened to the Aboriginal people mm-hmm. of Australia because it was pretty atrocious. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and the official name of that day is Sorry Day. 
<laughs> on, a, on a calendar, it says sorry day. Oh my God. No we're sense. Sorry. We're so sorry. <laughs> TJ, same question. What was your first beer? Oh, man. I think that mine is going to be so boring. I had to, it was my husband back, with you? It had to be in the back like storage room of the bagel, the bagel shop. shop. It had to have been. No, I definitely I remember stealing a beer from my father at like a holiday party on Long Island at the family house, but it was a Budweiser. Okay. Know? But, um... <laughs> Yeah. Colin Murtaugh's favorite, Bud Heavy. Of course, yeah. Yeah. but he only drinks bottles, as we know. But yeah, whatever they were serving at the power lines when we were in like 1996 is yeah. where we were. Yeah. Why did you guys used to drink at the power lines? We all we wanted cancer. We wanted testicular cancer. Yeah, I just, don't know. We figured the, the cops wouldn't come there. <laughs> but they always did. The state troopers would always roll up and be like, you guys are idiots. You want to? If you don't want to get arrested, go home right now. They just have like a whole trail of high school kids walking down Mount Airy Road. like trying. But to like it's Croton. They all knew you. So That's very when true. they just call your house, like I just saw your kid. Yes, they would. <laughs> they called me Bagel Boy. That was my name. Yeah. Cops would be like, Bagel Boy's out again. TJ's father owned... Uh, Bagels on Hudson in our hometown, so his he was deemed the Bagel Boy by uh, local that is a great uh, local law enforcement authorities. That's right. That is amazing. Oh my God, Jeff just showed us a bottle of cold beer. We're gonna have to put that on our Instagram. Yeah, <laughs> yeah we need a screenshot of that. It looks That's great. Amazing. It looks delicious. Uh, <laughs> it looks cold. Yeah, it looks cold. <laughs> in that picture, it looks cold. Yes. Yes. Uh, any upcoming events or anything you want to talk about? Anything special going on around here? Um, yeah, uh, we're doing, we're in the process of planning something really special for, um, a sustainability author. His name is Kasson Schrenner and he owns the first sustainable sushi restaurant in America. He also wrote the first, as far as I know, the first book about sustainable sushi. It's called Sustainable Sushi. Mm -hmm. Is he he Australian? (laughs) (laughs) Does he love cold beer? (laughs) Yeah, I think he's, I think he doesn't drink anymore. Um. (laughs) But he he it's it's really exciting for for me and for us. It was he was the first that was the first book that I ever read about sustainable sushi yeah. and it got me really excited about the the possibilities. Um, so the idea of doing an event with him. He came in to eat a few months ago uh, and enjoyed himself. He lives on the west coast, I think Washington or mm-hmm. San Francisco. Just opened a place in Hawaii too, right? Yeah. Wow. Um, so yeah, the the event that we're doing with him to promote his his new Kids book. That's right. Uh, wow, kids book. Kids book about sustainable. Oh wow! Yes. Let's take a picture awesome. of this. That's really cool. When uh, is this event? Thursday, May twenty third. Um, it's going to be um, kind of like a book release party for this new book. Everybody will leave with a signed copy of it as well. That's really cool. It's going to be right here. Be right here. And yeah. next, and next no, just here. Okay. Just here. We're going to do right. the two seatings. Uh, you know, Casson will will do some readings and he'll talk a little bit about kind of his philosophy. And you know, like Jeff said, Casson is a force to be reckoned with in the sustainability world. So we're super excited to partner up with. Are him. you trying to get kids in here, or is it whomever? I mean, it's a kids I, book. It, it, when, <laughs> it's it's an. I think he describes it as an adult friendly kids book. Yeah, gotcha. Uh, okay. And no, it's not. It's not a children's event. Right. <laughs> I mean, it's not like there's not gonna be like any anything X rated going on. But it's, <laughs> it's, it's still it's wife. <laughs> we're still we're still gonna be doing we're still gonna be serving the same food that we're gotcha. serving. Yeah. Yeah. That's really cool. And, and the book's great too. It's beautiful. The the illustrations especially I think are spectacular. We're also gonna be partnering with Brooklyn Cura 
That's correct. At some point. Yeah, in June, we're still kind of nailing down a date on that. But are you guys familiar with Brooklyn Kura? No. That would be a great thing for you guys to look into, too. Brooklyn Kura is New York City's first sake brewery. And they make sake Mm. in uh, Brooklyn. They do a hop sake, right? They do. They do a hop sake as well. Oh, we should check that out. That's only available at their brewery. It's spectacular, too. Uh, But, yeah, they have a similar kind of... um, you know, vibe to, to Mayanoki. They they only source local ingredients, so they use a rice blend from California and Arkansas okay. to, to make their sake. They use New York City tap water to make their sake, and it is great. It's really, really good. Nice. Um, That's we're, interesting. We're good friends with them, you know, um, and so we're going to partner up and do an event with them in June. We're going to do a, you know, some food over at their space. they got a beautiful brewery, um, and so we're going we're gonna to do that in June. And then also one other event on May 9th will be at uh, the Billion Oyster Project's annual fundraising event, right? Yeah, it's called the Billion Oyster Party. It's very it's true. In, <laughs> it's in Red Hook. <laughs> it's, a, it's a collection of uh, oyster farmers, restaurants, oyster enthusiasts. They, they normally attract about 700 people. Wow. Which blows my mind because tickets, tickets are expensive. Um, what, what are they running? One seventy five. Yeah, something. almost two hundred bucks. Yeah. Uh, but then you get to walk around drinking and drinking beer and and eating oysters and that sounds uh, whatever, amazing. Whatever yeah, the yeah. we might have to go to that. Uh-huh. Do you guys are you familiar with the Billion Oyster Project? No. It's a oh, really really it's, cool. It's awesome. There, it's a it's a local nonprofit dedicated to rebuilding the oyster population that used to exist around New York Harbor wow. as a way of cleaning the water. They're not they're not trying to grow oysters to eat, um, but hundred years from now. The, the idea is that the oysters will be in such clean waters that you can eat them again. They also work with a lot of uh, schools locally. Uh, a huge part of what they do is education. So they, they have school children rebuilding the, the oyster bars with them. This the, is really the cool. The way they rebuild it is really cool. They actually collect our shucked oyster shells. Mm-hmm. So participating restaurants, you know, every time you shuck an oyster, normally that would just go in the trash. Right. We save them. They come around in a truck and collect them, and they grow new oysters inside of each of those shells. What? They say up to 20 new oysters grows inside of each shell from every oyster that you eat. So, you know, they're taking those shells, growing oysters in them, and then putting those into the polluted waters as wow. filters. Wow. Um, and if you think about it, um, New York City is an oyster town. I mean, this... Um, you know, 100, 200 years ago, you, there were oysters everywhere. Now, you know, we have hot dog carts. Back then, we had right. oyster carts. Mm-hmm. Um, and literally, the city is built on the oyster as well. You know, all of these buildings are built on ground-up oyster shells that they used. Wow. Um, to actually, you know, terraform. So the oyster has a big part in New York City history. We actually begin each meal at Mayanoki with an oyster as well, because what's more New York yeah. than having an oyster and uh, some cider? Actually, is our first pairing as well. Oh, that's so great. Super New York, and um, you know, oysters have a, long, a rich history here, but they were entirely decimated by overconsumption. We ate them right out of the water, and mm-hmm. they were gone. And mm-hmm. they polluted those waters. Exactly, and you know, exactly. And oysters are are, are workers. They filter a ridiculous amount of water. Every, yeah. You know, every day. So without them doing their part in the waters, we really felt the impact. So this organization is looking to reintroduce them to kind of help with that. Beautiful. I'm starting to think that they're, the fact that they, like we do save all of our oyster shells and they pick them up. They picked them up just yesterday. Mm-hmm. I'm starting to think that they, they really do that for us just to make us feel better because we shuck at most 16 oysters a day. Yeah. 
She's not very many. <laughs> when we had um, the the guys from Crave. Yeah, the fish bar. Yeah, if I asked them, they were like, we do a couple, couple thousand oysters a day. Totally. And they're a partner of Billion Oyster Project as well. Yeah. They don't need us. Like, <laughs> <laughs> we're we're going to keep saving them for them, but yeah. they don't. The they 16 don't. oysters <laughs> are making we, we, got an, we got an email from one of their directors, or I got an email from one of their directors uh, a couple months ago saying... Or providing some tips on how to save oysters, she says in the email. She's like, I know it's I know it's kind of a pain in the ass to to save all the oyster shells, but you'll make a, a big difference if if you do. And this is how you can do that. And I respond. I was like, I, look, we're giving you all of our oysters, but I don't know if you know this, but we're an eight seat restaurant and we shuck at most sixteen oysters a day. She's like, oh. Well, thank, thank you for your hard work. <laughs> <laughs> it's more of a pain in the ass to the person from the project to come right. here and pick yeah. up the guys. Yeah, yeah. 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 yeah they oh, can, yeah, exactly. Oh. So what did you guys think about the, about the beer? Now that we're like... <laughs> I love this beer. This is like my eighth yeah. day in a row drinking this. Yeah, okay. <laughs> but you know, the rice lager, I think, is nice. It, you know, it kind of balances out some of the, those like Pilsner notes. I think they use Pilsner malt. Yeah. Uh, but then actually rice in the lager as well. And I, I love beer with sushi... Not all beer goes well with sushi, yeah. but I think this is like light and bright enough. Totally. Nice. And like our entire beverage menu is built around the food. So we, okay. you know, it's all meant for pairing. So we're not going to have like a super hoppy IPA right. or something that's like really strong. You want strong. to taste the sake. I mean, yeah, exactly. Sushi. You want it to complement yeah. or contrast without interfering. Right. So nothing too strong. But it, but then again, you know, we want something with character. You know, right. we're not just going to be, you know, pouring you know, Corona back here. For, so, for a long time, I was trying to get Sierra Nevada on, on our on our menu, because I love Sierra Nevada. He does. But this is probably, this is realistically probably a better fit. True. I would think and, so, yeah. you know, um, another, you know, good point to note is that everything that we pour, with the exception of our sake, is from New York. So nice. all of the wines, all of the beer, cider, uh, a lot of skin-fermented orange wines, sparkling wines, whatever it may be, uh, is all made in New York State. That's so, great. Um, you know, our pairing is a big part of what we do, and so we pair local fish with local wines. Mm-hmm. Now, the sake, we do bring in that sake from Brooklyn, like I mentioned, Brooklyn Kura, spectacular, but the rest of it is Junmai sake from Japan, wow. which coincidentally might be the only thing from Japan in the restaurant. That's crazy. Based on quality. Yeah. And the, the, the You're not from Japan? Japan? I thought. <laughs> west, west, west Coast. <laughs> I'm from closer to Japan than. Where we are right now. Yeah. That's true. Correct. That's very true. Correct. I never thought about that. You should use that. I do. So Mayanoki is located at? We're at 620 East 6th Street. Uh, we're in the East Village of Manhattan between Avenue B and Avenue C, mm-hmm. directly next door to Grape and Grape, which is our other project. That's your other project? That's and right. then you have another project across the river in Brooklyn. Correct. Do you want yeah. to talk about that real quick? Absolutely. Because it just opened up. I'd the, love to. Weather yeah. getting nicer. Exactly. It's a beautiful day out there today. They're probably slammed up there right now, which is great <laughs> news. But yeah, the other project um, in Brooklyn is called Rooftop Reds. Uh, Rooftop Reds is the world's first commercial vineyard on a rooftop. So we grow grapes on a rooftop in the Brooklyn Navy Yard. Uh, we grow them in container. We have about a quarter acre of red varietals planted. We make wine from those grapes and we sell it. We have a tasting room and an outdoor bar on the rooftop. It's about 15,000 square feet. It's this huge outdoor bar. Um, that's The perimeter is lined with AstroTurf. Uh, there is cornhole up there as well. Which, <laughs> I um, didn't see that coming. For all, for all those cornhole <laughs> fans, exactly. Muller would love it. Especially for Jeff. Yeah, Jeff, okay. Jeff's a big cornhole guy. <laughs> 
But I, I only mention that because it is literally the most unpretentious rooftop bar on planet Earth. You yeah. Know? If you think about like all the rooftops that you would go to in New York City, and you're going to pay twenty dollars cocktails and yeah. you know, have to get all dressed up, and it's going to be crowded and it's yeah. gross. We are the opposite of that. We keep the numbers low. It's a working farm. It's a working vineyard. You know, it's the kind of place where you can just come up and chill and get some great views, taste local wines. We only pour New York wines. Mm -hmm. And be a part of this kind of next wave of urban agriculture, which is really what we're doing. We're, you know, there's a lot of unused rooftop space. um, And there is a high demand for, for, you know, for not only vegetables and and fruits, which they are growing on rooftops New York City. We wanted to take it into the beverage arena. So mm-hmm. growing grapes. We have a hop program coming now. We're going to be growing hops up there right. as well. Uh, uh, we just uh, are involved with a uh, nonprofit as well that we just started called Village Vines. Um, Village Vines is a really cool thing where we. Um, I'll just briefly talk about it. But basically, people were calling us because they. Uh, in Brooklyn specifically, they have wild grapevines in their backyard. Wow. You were mentioning German immigrants in Bushwick bringing beers over. I guess the Italian immigrants in Brooklyn were planting grapevines in their backyard 100 years yeah, ago. Yeah, that makes sense. And now they're growing wild, literally, like 60 feet off a telephone pole wild. Wow. And they're producing. They're, there's fruit on them. The birds love them, etc. <laughs> and so people were calling us when they found out that we were growing grapes. And yeah. they were like, can you help us? And so we were, we were like, let's do something. So we were, we're now harvesting these wild Brooklyn grapes and making wine from it, donating the proceeds back to the community. It's called That's Village Vines. That's really cool. That's um, something that was uh, founded by um, my partner at Rooftop Reds, Devin Showmaker. Uh, so I sit on the board of that, and big things to come from that this year. Um, we made our first wine from that, and that will, um, you know, we're going to be raising money this year and stuff, so look out for some cool stuff. That's really them. cool. But Rooftop Reds itself, we made um, a few years ago. We made the first vintage of the rooftop wine, and we're about to release that as well. So that has been aging and is now ready for consumption. Yes. And it will be and is the first wine ever grown in Brooklyn. Can we get an address for Rooftop Reds and ours? Yeah, Rooftop Reds is in the Brooklyn Navy Yard. So it is right at the base of the Manhattan Bridge. The address that you would look at on the interwebs would be 299 Sands Street. That's the entrance to the Navy Yard. Um, where they let you in. But you can see us on the website at rooftopreds.com. Uh, we are open uh, at the moment. We're gonna we're open six days a week. Um, the hours change every day, but it's normally around like four to ten or so. On Saturdays we're open and Saturdays and Sundays we're open earlier. Um, so you can get some nice sun up there. But yeah, pick a sunny day and come up there because it's one of a kind spot and it's something that I think you'd be really interested in. Hell yeah. Are you getting any sleep? <laughs> it's been a few years since okay. I've slept, but okay. that's okay because these bags under my eyes, I have bags under their eyes. It's all starting to come together, really. These quadruple bags <laughs> under his eyes. <laughs> but grape um, and grain, too. I mean, next yes. door. you got to come by there. Uh, our chef, Adam Rule, does an amazing job. Um, we're doing, we're, we're practicing, you know, the sustainability mission over there as well, but it's a little more kind of uh, familiar. We're doing mm-hmm. fresh made pastas, fresh baked breads. Our wine list is 100% American, so we've branched out from just New York and we're doing a lot of like really cool wines from Oregon, California, uh, that kind of thing. So Beautiful. it's a super, super casual spot. It's got those beautiful windows that open. It's got that indoor outdoor feel mm-hmm. open for brunch as well and open till midnight every night, except Monday. Monday is the holy day where we do nothing. So don't show up on Monday, but any other day. <laughs> so we do all our ordering and then 
stocking and, and restocking. Sleep. We sleep one day. That's okay, insane. that's good. Sleep one day a week. That's great. <laughs> so, again, we want to thank you guys for hosting us today. Uh, we greatly appreciate it. Thank you for sharing, you know, how this got off the ground. Uh, I am so happy for you. And, Thanks, and for you. And now our good friend, uh, yes. and now Chef our, Jeff. Yes, our amazing, <laughs> amazingly close friend, Chef Jeff. I like to hear. Uh, but, you know, just kind of celebrating you and Brianna and kind of, uh, you know, the fact that you're a restaurateur in, in you know, one of the uh, best restaurant cities on the planet Earth. And the hardest is, so is, is, is so, well. so cool uh, you, to see. You know, one of my friends that I've known since kindergarten. Uh, has come this far, so it's and easy to look up to. Yes, <laughs> for for one year. <laughs> so my favorite TJ moment. Oh is no! Oh no! Jim and I got married, and TJ wrote the <laughs> song for our wedding. He played guitar as I walked down the aisle. That is That's the true. nicest it, thing. That was you spectacular. Walked down the aisle of punk. <laughs> yeah, you had, you had it been there. <laughs> you had a purple mohawk. It was a crazy yeah, wedding. It was insane. Well, your guys' wedding was so much fun. That was such a great day. Um, that was awesome. And the party afterwards, Rory Dolan's. We barely clock. remember it. <laughs> 12 hours. Oh, my God. That was, what, Jeez. 11 years ago? Well, it'll in October, a, in, it'll in be 11 October, years. Yeah, we just yeah. celebrated our 10th wedding anniversary. Yeah. That's crazy. crazy. Yeah. Congratulations. That's when I just met my wife, Brianna, and I were kind of newly together yes, after your wedding correct. as well. We just got it's together. a good time. <laughs> Those were the days where... Yeah. So to all our listeners, thanks for tuning in. Um, if you guys are thirsty for more, you can find us. Uh, where can they find us, Dana? You always do this. That was my line. I don't know. Where can they find us? <laughs> <laughs> I love flipping the script on her. Uh, you guys can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, uh, Google Play for Android, Spotify, Spreaker, Breaker, anywhere you guys listen to podcasts on your Please smartphone rate us devices. As well. Yeah, rate the podcast. Check out our new t-shirts. We are selling t-shirts. Those t-shirts uh, are awesome. Thank you. Like we have those. a new logo. It's really popping on the t-shirts. Uh, we are raising money to get new equipment. Uh, it's going to include microphones and table booms and all that type of Pay cool for beer. Sound stuff. <laughs> uh, and to pay for our beer and our travel to bring this show to you guys, to your doorstep. Guys, thank you so much for joining thank us. Thank you. Today. Great. Such a and pleasure. And you guys will be hearing from us soon. Bye.